Hey, so we are in a new sermon series together. We're in the second week of it. We're calling it Jeremiah, Take the Next Step of Faith. And, you know, last week we looked at these five words and we said, these are the five deadly words for every Christian. God can't use me because. And we said, hey, we're going we're gonna to take those and we're going to throw them out because we're going to realize, and it says right here, Jeremiah shows us, and he has to deal with these right in Jeremiah 1. He's got to deal with his feelings of inadequacy, his excuses, his circumstances. Um, and so we're in, this, we're in this time where we're now going to say, if I throw out God can't use me because, and I say yes to God, what comes next? So we're taking the next step of faith. And if you're anything like me, maybe you have a moment where you've said, you know, like, there's a lot of things that I've disqualified myself for. I, I used to say I was too young or too old or too busy or too unattached or whatever it was. And then I said, I'm going to give those to God, and I'm going to say, God, you can use me. And now I'm excited. And now I'm kind of like the gates at the Kentucky Derby, and it opens and I'm running and sprinting. Have you ever had this experience in your life? Let me give you an example. When I was a younger man than I am now, I had an opportunity to lead a youth group for the first time, and I was all excited because I was saying yes to God, and I was dedicating time, and we were going to have a Jesus movement of young people that was going to change the world. That sounds good, right? Now, here's the problem. So... Imagine those Kentucky Derby uh, doors opening. Here's what I did. Immediately, I said, there's three things we got to fix. And if we do these, we're going to have a massive group of young people here. First of all, we need to build a stage. Second of all, we need to change the meeting time because it's a bad time. I know the better time, so we're going to change the time of youth group. And everyone will come because of our new time. And number three, and this was the one I felt strongest about. Young people need to feel comfortable sharing the difficult parts of their lives, and they can't do it if parents are there. So I banned parents. I said, no parents can help with youth group. There used to be a whole team of parents. I said, no more parents, not allowed, no parents. And so I got excited and came to the youth group I was now leading, and what happened? It was a dud. There was no huge Jesus movement of revival sweeping the nations from the hall of the church at the time. And what I quickly learned is that for me, and like many of us, we have a problem. Patience does not come naturally. Can we agree? This is our problem. Patience does not come naturally. Now, I, I was talking to someone, and I was told, oh, no, David, it comes naturally for some people. And I said, I didn't want to argue. So I said, okay. And then I thought, who are these some people they're talking about? Because I don't know if I've ever met them. Now, there's a problem with our problem, though, is that the word patience comes up in society so much. Have we heard people talk about patience? And it feels like five different people mean five different things when they say patience. Let's look at three things it's not. Patience is not waiting endlessly. It's not just like, here I am waiting, and someday something will happen. That's not patience. It's also not apathy. It's also patience is not, I don't care, something will happen, I'm not sure what, it doesn't matter to me. That's not patience. That's not the next step of faith. That's not saying yes to God and, and working with him. That's not caring. And it's also not what I like to call sit-on-the-couch optimism. What is sit-on-the-couch optimism? Maybe 15 years ago, it was sitting on your couch and listening 
to the Sarah McLaughlin um, video with the dogs in the arms of the angels and hoping you could save all the dogs. Maybe sit on the couch optimism is where you're sitting there and thinking, hmm, I bet I could come up with a way to solve world hunger and doing nothing. That's not, those aren't patience. I want to show you biblical patience because here's something really interesting. The Bible is how many stories? One story. And the Bible is one coherent story of God's redemptive work historically revealed through Scripture and through the church. Biblical patience is found in the Old Testament. It's found in the New Testament. It's found in Genesis. It's found in Revelation. It's found with Abraham. It's found with Jesus. You give me a major part of the Bible, and we can show you where biblical patience comes into play because it's a fundamental part of taking that next step of faith. Biblical patience is really three things. It's fearing God, it's trusting Him, and it's waiting on His timing. I want to go slow and break this down for a moment. Fearing God. Now, fear God. Maybe you say, David, I don't want to fear God. I want to have faith, not fear. We're calling this sermon series, uh, Jeremiah, Take the Next Step of Faith. I don't want to fear God. I want to love God. Let me explain. Fear God comes up in Scripture all the time. No matter what we do as people, we're going to have something that we are subject to. I can have a proper respect for God. That's like fearing God. Imagine standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and having a proper respect for it. Or imagine the fact that we call Jesus the Lion of Judah. A lion, do you go up and bear hug a lion? No, you have the proper respect for a lion. Or I can say, eh, I don't know, and I can just fear everything else, and I can have a spirit of bondage of fear. And so what we say is that first part of biblical patience is I'm going to choose to put my fear in God, and that means I'm going to have the proper respect for Him. And then I can trust Him. Then I can let God be where I get my strength from. If you've got your Bible today, look at your Bible. The Bible... We read the Bible because it lets us know how we can trust God, where we can get our strength from. Not that we worship the Bible, but the Bible gives us the opportunity to really see that this is where we learn how to trust God. We see people make difficult decisions wrong and then learn to trust God the right way. And then finally, we wait on God's timing. That's hard for us. Remember, we said biblical patience is not waiting endlessly. It's waiting on God's timing. It's with confidence that God has better than everything else I can settle for. Let me give an example. I love fondue, cheese fondue. Some people think I'm weird for this. Parts of my family think I'm weird for this. And so therefore, I only get cheese fondue once a year, and it's on New Year's. And we're in August, and I'm looking forward to my cheese fondue. I'm not joking. Laura, am I joking? Not joking. Okay. This came up other than, than sermon illustration. Ruby thinks fondue is stinky. Ruby's my three-year-old. Now, I'm waiting confidently for my cheese fondue on the night of New Year's Eve. Food starts appearing. Cookies and crackers and beef stick and all these other things that I can have any day. I can go to the store and get cookies right now. But I can't get the cheese fondue made by my family because all the ingredients have to arrive and I see it. And so on New Year's Eve, I have to have the confidence to wait on the better cheese fondue than just filling up on everything else. And that's what our Christian walk is. That's really what biblical patience culminates with. It's ultimately, do I have confidence that God has better for me than everything else I can search for in the world?
that ultimately what I wait for with God is going to be the best and everything else is not. And so if we take that, we say, and this is our big idea of the day, and we're going to look how this is clear in the text, patience is a key step of faith. Have you thought of that before? Have you thought of the fact that, that patient, because we think of taking a step of faith, first of all, we have this idea of leaps of faith. I don't love leaps of faith. It's not super di- biblical. The writer of Hebrews says we walk by faith, not by sight. He doesn't say we, we leap by faith. And so if we say faith is steps, and we're going to see this with Jeremiah, patience is a step. If patience doesn't come naturally for you like me, then we can say, hey, if I'm embracing patience right now, I'm taking a step of faith. If I'm fearing God, trusting God, waiting on his timing, that's actually me actively having faith and actively taking steps. And so I want us to look at Jeremiah. We're going to be in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible here, I want to show you how to get to Jeremiah. Imagine you flop it over to the middle and to go a little bit on the right. And you're going to see Jeremiah is after the Psalms. It's about uh, two-thirds-ish the way through your Bible. And we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 24. That means that Jeremiah fits into part of the Old Testament story. That Jeremiah is not this random thing separate from everything else. Now, I'm not going to go over every single part. I want to make this clear because sometimes we look at Bible stories and we're like, I don't get it. Have you ever had this? Don't raise your hand. But have you ever had this feeling where you read something and you're like, I'm sure this is divinely inspired. I'm sure this really makes a big difference for other people's lives. But I don't get it. They're talking about figs? Like, Like Myrna did a lovely job reading, but what was she talking about with figs? Like, huh? So let's make it clear. We're in a part of the history in the Old Testament of Israel, God's chosen people, we're going to see that we're in the last kingdom. There used to be two kingdoms. Let me show you this. There's a helpful graphic. So the, the kingdom was actually divided uh, because of disobedience. You had the civil war that happens, and Israel was made up of tribes. It wasn't uh, separated into Republican-Democrat. It was semi- separated into 12 ethnic tribes. During the civil war, because of it, 10 went up north, 2 went south. Now, we're at a part where the north is gone, it's destroyed, and all we have left is this kingdom of Judah. That's who Jeremiah, that's where he is. Jeremiah is going to talk about, in this chapter, how we're in the last king in the last kingdom. We're in the final days of Judah. And there's this threat of this place called Babylon. And you're going to hear this whole thing about exile. Exile simply means, do you see how there's this pretty picture of Babylon where it looks gold? They got it, and we're going to stay on the previous slide. So you're going to see right here, do you see here, it's kind of gold and nice and ornate. One of the ways that Babylon, this empire in the east, got like that is they would plunder other nations. And then they would grab people and say, hey, we're going to take the best and the brightest and you're going to make Babylon even better. To the point where when we think of the wonders of the ancient world, some of them are found in Babylon. Now, how does that relate to us today? We're going to see that there's going to be a whole place where, and we're going to see a map right here, where we're going to see that we start in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah is in this place. Remember, it's the last kingdom during the last king is when Jeremiah 24 is. And we're going to see that there's going to be an exile talked about where Babylon has come and grabbed people and taken them all the way over to modern-day Iraq, all the way over. And they didn't have Amtrak 
They didn't have planes. They didn't have buses. They had mainly walking, sometimes a camel, if you were lucky, but not usually. And so they're going to be forcibly pulled, and that is the context we're finding ourselves in. That is where Jeremiah is dealing with. He's dealing with the fact that some people have already been taken in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so that sounds like a situation that's hard to have patience in. We're going to see that Jeremiah 24 really illustrates this idea of biblical patience. Biblical patience, help me out, is fearing God, trusting God, waiting on his timing. It's not endlessly waiting. It's not apathy. It's not sit-on-the-couch optimism. And so we're going to really see that at times when patience doesn't come naturally for us, this passage is really going to inform us on what do I do to live patiently. I'm actually going to think in a moment, I want you to imagine you're potting a patience plant and you want to grow a patience flower in your house. Wouldn't that be nice? You have a, a flower in your house that's going to look like patience and it's going to make a big difference in your life. We've got to start with the seed. You've got, you got to plant something. And so we're going to look in this text. I invite you to open up to Jeremiah 24. And we're going to start by seeing that often only part of a situation is clear. Let's look at this together. We're in 24, chapter 24, first couple verses. Let me read it. Again, we hear it one time. That's called a holistic reading where you just hear the whole passage. Now we're going to break it down and teach through it a little bit. After King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon exiled Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim. Don't you love it when the Bible does that? They give you two names and you're like, you just lost me, Jeremiah. Okay, so I'm so sorry there's these multiple J kings. Listen for the name Zedekiah. We're going to be during Zedekiah, last king, no other kings we got to deal with. Let's keep going. Um, king of Judah to Babylon, along with the officials of Judah and all the craftsmen and artisans. What that means essentially is the best and brightest have been taken off. Imagine someone came in and rounded up all the leaders and left. Imagine someone came into your workplace and rounded up all the leaders and all the people with training and then there were just kind of some untrained people sitting there being like, okay, what do we do next? That's kind of the situation we find ourselves in. The Lord gave me this vision. I saw two baskets of figs placed in front of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. One basket was filled with fresh, ripe figs, while the other was filled with bad figs that were too rotten to eat. Then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I replied, figs, some very good and some very bad, too rotten to eat. So I want to be clear what we have. Confusing dark time, friends, best and brightest, have been taken off into captivity forcibly. It's a hard, dark situation. Sometimes we feel like society is crumbling. Their society was actually crumbling. A foreign, hostile force was literally pulling people out. Neighbors were gone. Leaders were gone. And there was an opportunity to jump to conclusions. Because sometimes when we have half information, what do we start to do? If life is kind of like an unconnected series of dots, we start to say, I want to start connecting the dots. Do you remember when you were younger and there were those exercises where uh, maybe it was to make a plant or maybe it was to make a flower or maybe it was to make a guitar and you would have... Um, connect the dot activities. Do you remember that? Okay, so the problem with life is that we are often connected 
with a series of unconnected dots. And remember on those activities how there were the little numbers to tell you where to go? Life doesn't give us that. So we start connecting the dots all over the place. And it starts getting really crazy really quick because we jump to all these conclusions and we get partial information and now we're running like out of the gates of the Kentucky Derby and now we make situations significantly worse. You're going to see Jeremiah didn't do that. Jeremiah has asked kind of an interesting question. Hey, what do you see? He could have said, oh, I see figs and the bad ones are those people taken off. They're getting punished. Or he could have jumped to some other conclusion. He didn't. Because he started saying, hey, you know what? God, I'm talking to you directly. You're going to give me the answer. I just have this series of unconnected dots. I was talking to a dear friend of mine recently. And we had a wonderful conversation this past week. And he put it this way. And I want to throw this up on here. And I want to tell you what he said. He said, sometimes when we're talking with people, we hear a few words and we start formulating an answer instead of listening, right? So like, we're entering into a political season. There's gonna be a whole bunch of people on the left, on the right, on the nonpartisan, on the partisan, on the local, on the national. Every single group of people is gonna to wanna to give you partial information and wanna get you to react so they can bring you on their team. Every single group. And it's not just politics. Think about sales. What do the salespeople try to do? They entice you with a little information, they try to get you to emotionally react, and then they try to get you on board. As Christians, if we want to be patient, if we want to say, hey, I'm going to, what am I going to do? I'm going to fear God, I'm going to have the proper respect for Him, so that means I don't, I'm not going to have this spirit of fear in my life, worrying about all this half information. Okay, so that means I can say, hmm... Sometimes I hear a few words and start formulating an answer. Maybe today I'm just going to start by listening. Let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I came back from a trip. We were at a Christian conference in Orlando, Florida. And I'm going to tell you something that if you know me well, you'll know this. But if you don't know me well, this will surprise you. Even though I communicate basically professionally for a living at this point, I'm a huge introvert. And so when I'm on a plane, I want to be left alone. Am I the guy? I'm the guy you love sitting next to at the plane because I won't talk to you. I will smile. I will be, if you need something, I, of course, but I will totally leave you alone. I'm not going to say, is this business or pleasure? I'm going to keep my mouth shut because when I'm on the plane, I'm just on the plane. So suddenly I'm looking and this flight attendant is walking down the aisle and getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer. And, and we're going to wait. There's a graphic in a minute, so we're going to wait on the graphic. So, the flight attendant comes closer and closer and closer, and I want to let you know that I start jumping to conclusions in my head. The closer this person gets, finally this person gets as close as Austin is to me, then as close as John is to me, and then this close to me, and is looking right at me. And what is David thinking? Now, granted, I just got back from a Christian conference where we were praying with people. I must have committed a crime. I must be putting on the do not fly list. I must be kicking off, getting kicked off the plane. What did I do wrong? And like I'm wanting to like run to the bathroom and like go hide in the bathroom hoping that's going to save me. Then the person looks at me and says, are you David S. Cushing? Now I'm freaking out. And I, I like want to tackle the person or tackle my wife or her tackle me or like I'm, I'm always at the window so I just want to like get out of there and be like what is going on? And I say, and now 
do you remember that feeling in interviews where your heart is doing this? So I've got this, and I, I, I'm sweating, and it's awful. And I'm like, yes. And then here's what they say. Hey, it was your birthday yesterday. We want to wish you happy birthday. And look, we have this special um, present for you. And here's beef jerky and M&Ms. We're so glad you flew with us. And it's really great to have you as a customer on JetBlue. My friends, we live our lives like this, where we jump to conclusions on this partial information, and it gets us into trouble. They don't always want to give you turkey jerky and M&Ms, but sometimes people just want to give you turkey jerky and M&Ms. And so in your marriage, when your spouse says something to you and you want to start freaking out, I don't know if she wants to give you M&Ms, but maybe you just can say, hey, I'm going to stop acting on the partial information. That's what we see Jeremiah shows us. Because imagine patience is a plant. I'm going to show this little graphic. Imagine you're planting your patience plant, and it's a pot. Patience begins by not reacting to incomplete information. There's sometimes that we need to read these together, like we're in an old-school liturgical church. So we're going to, on 3, 2, 1, read this together, because we need it, my friends. Ready? We're entering election season. So much is going on. We need this. Ready? 3, 2, 1. Patience begins by not reacting to incomplete information. Jeremiah waited for more details. Let's see what they were. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 24. We're going to now look at verse 4. And we're going to see that there's more going on. Because Jeremiah is going to show us with patience that hardship now isn't hardship forever. Just because something is difficult now, and I call that hardship now, it's going on in my life, in my, maybe in my parenting, maybe in my marriage, maybe in my workplace, maybe I have a bad boss, maybe I have a, am the bad boss, whatever it is, today the hardship isn't guaranteeing hardship forever. Let's look and see what figs show us about that. Isn't that interesting? How are figs going to teach us about this? Let's see what Jeremiah says to us. Verse 4, then the Lord gave me this message. Wouldn't that be nice? Who wants a message from the Lord today? That'd be so great. Okay. This is what the Lord says. The God of Israel says. The good figs represent the exiles from Judah to the land of Babylonians. Oh, good thing that Jeremiah didn't assume that they were the cursed people because God's saying the exact opposite. Sometimes with our thinking, have you ever noticed this? We just get it 100% wrong. We just make the assumption and we're just 100% wrong. Okay. I will watch over them and care for them, and I will bring them back here again. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. So you see that even though there's difficult things that they've got to go through, exile, Anyone want to go into exile for 70 years? Does that sound fun? The next chapter says it's going to be 70 years. 70 years ago, Eisenhower was president. The most popular movie was Singing in the Rain. Queen Elizabeth was coronated, right? There's so many things going on. So now, here's the deal. What we have to understand is that just because something is difficult today does not mean that that guarantees it's going to be really hard tomorrow. Jeremiah sees this. They have to go to exile, and then good things are happening. What are some of these good things? They're going to be watched over. They're going to be cared for by God. 
during this hard time, the hardship's going to be finite. There's actually going to be building up during this period. There's going to be planting. They're going to be given a new heart. They're going to be given a sense of belonging and relationship with God. Just because the hardship happens today doesn't guarantee that it's going to be like that forever. Even 70 years that they have to go through is a finite time. But that can still be hard for us. And we can say, well, I still feel stuck at times. Let me tell you about a recent encounter I had with my three-year-old. She's almost four. Um, she's old enough that I actually asked her permission to um, include it in the message, and she said, yeah. So here's, here's what happened. This past Thursday, now if you're anything like me, parenting is really weird right now because our children first things in the morning, uh, this could only be my home, so bear with me. The first question I get, I, first of all, I'm not greeted, good morning. I'm greeted, can we watch something? That's the first thing that I'm asked. So now, every day I kind of steal myself for this, and my wife and I work, and we're like, uh, we work with her, and we say, hey, the first thing you say is good morning, you give a hug, you don't start with can I watch something. So on this Thursday morning, she comes and I'm bracing myself, and she says, dad, can we play a board game together this morning? And now I'm freaking out like with joy inside, but I'm trying to like really keep it together and not let her know, because if you have a toddler around, they know right? They know. You don't want them to get you. Now, so I'm sitting there and I'm very, yes, um, I think we could make that happen, Ruby. That would be okay. Which one are you thinking? Shoots and ladders. So we go set up and shoots and ladders and we play it. And I beat her. Because I believe that in my family, it's always been, you don't let children win. When they can win, they win. And you don't manufacture. Anyhow. So she starts crying. A lot. And she won't calm down. And Laura's like in the other room or something or just probably laughing that I'm dealing with some sort of mess. Laura's my wife and she's probably with Henry. And so Ruby's just upset and she's crying and I can't get her to calm down. And finally I say, do you want some time with your stuffed animals? And she goes, has time with her stuffed animals and she's screaming in the corner. So where do I turn? The internet. And so I go on the internet and I look up, no, it's okay, it's better. I look up a parenting Christian resource. And I read this article, and she's still freaking out in the corner. And it says, it kind of guides me to ask her two questions. And so I walk over and I say, hey, Ruby, do you feel stuck right now? And she's crying. And she says, yes. I say, okay. Do you feel like because you lost this one board game this one time that you're always going to lose everything? Yes. And so she started calming down. I said, would you like to play some more? And then we switched from Shoots and Ladder to um, a Dr. Seuss matching game. And we played a bunch of games. She won some. I won some. And she was calm. And can't we get like that? That we get to the point we feel stuck. We think the hard thing we're going through is going to last forever. We think the bad boss that we have or the difficult interaction, because we don't even usually have a bad boss, right? We usually have that one interaction that makes us label them as the bad boss. And now we feel stuck. And we just say, I'm stuck with this bad boss. No, you're stuck with a human being who has the ability to make a decision and maybe it wasn't great or maybe you didn't like it. If we think of patience as our plant, patience grows when we start to realize that hardship now isn't hardship forever. I think of it this way. My sixth grade math teacher put it this way at parent-teacher conferences. How your child does in sixth grade math does not determine whether or not he or she will get into Harvard. If your child has a great year in math, that has nothing to do with getting into Harvard. And if your child has a bad year in math, that has nothing to do with getting into Harvard. 
Your child is just going through sixth grade math right now. And that's how we are. And that's what we see is that Jeremiah shows us that his vision of good figs means that the exiles had hope. And that means we got to talk about the bad figs. Open your Bibles to the eighth verse now. And this is how we're going to kind of wrap up. Because I think when we go to patience, we got to start by stop reacting to that half information. We got we to gotta then say like, hey, there's hardship now. It's not forever. And then we got to talk about control. Does anyone here have a tendency to get controlling? I certainly do. Now, what we see is that trying to control really solves nothing. Let's look at it in this final part. This is the last part of the chapter. Trying to control solves nothing. Here's what he says. But the bad figs, the Lord said, represent King Zedekiah of Judah, his officials, all the people left in Jerusalem and those who live in Egypt. I will treat them like bad figs, too rotten to eat. And it goes on and we heard it. But let's, st let's stick with the bad figs on this. Trying to control can seem like it's going to fix something, but it doesn't. What happens? We start to have more chaos. And now the hardship now lasts a little longer because we prolong it. Sometimes we read parts of the Bible that really make us uncomfortable. Because read these last couple things. I will make them an object of horror and a symbol of evil to every nation on earth. We want to skip that part. Then, we, then it says... They will be disgraced and mocked, taunted and cursed wherever I scatter them. We want to skip that part too. And I will send war, famine, and disease until they have vanished from the land of Israel, which I gave to them and their ancestors. We want to skip those parts, but I want to show you something. I want to pop it up on the screen. Because what you're going to see is there are three groups all named here. There's Zedekiah. He's the king, the last king, a, a bad king. And all his people. And they're one group. Then we have the exile avoiders because there are people who have been taken off and there's exiles who've stayed. And then there's the people who've literally fleed to Egypt. I'm going to show you that this is not a part of the Bible you should skip. This is a part you should focus on because it teaches us something about behaviors we want to avoid. Look at this right here. This first group, Zedekiah and his cronies, I like to call the professional compromisers. I will do anything to make things work out for me. Think about the student who cheats his way through college, figures out how to get by on this exam, uses artificial intelligence for this essay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, gets no real skills and has no real outcome. The only person that that student has cheated is themselves. When we just compromise, 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 it doesn't solve anything. Then, so that's Zedekiah and his group. Then there's the people who've stayed in Jerusalem and avoided the exile, I call them the chronic avoiders. And this is a way we can control. I have never learned, I've learned I don't ever have to be uncomfortable. Think of Neville Chamberlain, he's the prime minister before Winston Churchill. He thought that he could avoid Hitler and the Nazis simply by appeasing. But can you avoid Hitler and the Nazis? You can't. There are certain things in our lives we have to deal with. We have patience and we say I'm going to Fear God, trust God, wait on his timing. But ultimately, there's certain things that we can't run away from. And finally, there's this last group. I call them the quit first, deal later crowd. Instead of dealing with my problem, I can just quit. Instead of actually 
dealing with this, and instead of having proper respect for God, instead of saying I'm going to trust him, instead of waiting on his timing, I just quit, I leave, I'm gone. Think of it like this. Think of it as I had a student 10 years ago, long enough that I can use this illustration without using the name, and every time we had math class, he would get up, take his bags, walk down to the opposite end of the school, and sit by the loading docks. And he avoided every math class. But when it came time for MCAS, what happened? He still flunked. We can't. Jeremiah shows us that controlling solves nothing. But patience blossoms when I give control to God. Think of that plant. When I say, God, I'm going to give you control, that's when patience starts to blossom. And that is our big idea, is that we say patience is a key next step of faith. So sometimes we do really um, extravagant, complicated altar calls and things, but today I want to keep it really simple. I'm going to ask as the elders and a few others come forward, because we take time at the end of every service to offer a time of prayer. If you're struggling with patience, we'd love to pray for you and with you. And sometimes you can maybe kind of feel singled out. You can say, hey, uh, I don't want people to know I'm doing that. So the altar is always open. You can always come forward as the elders come forward. You're always welcome to come for healing, prayers of peace, prayers with friends. We have that opportunity. And so I invite you, if you're feeling led today, just come forward. We want to pray for you. And I'll, I'll, I'll bring a few forward um, that can join us. And let's sing together, but I invite you, come forward, let's pray for patience and pray for God's direction in our lives.